Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business with me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision and how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Project Future podcast. In this episode, I speak with Al Gerry, the founder and CEO of ZigZag Global, which is a SaaS solution to help e-commerce retailers manage returns domestically and globally. The ZigZag software platform connects major retailers to a global network of over 200 warehouses to over 400 carrier services in over 130 countries. Their mission is to help retailers become more sustainable whilst cutting costs and improving the speed of customer refunds by getting stock back in the supply chain more quickly. Clients include Boohoo Group, Selfridges, Gap, Inditex, which is the home of Zara, The Hut, Luxottica, Superdry, DHL and Skynet amongst others. ZigZag was acquired by Global Blue in March 2021. In this conversation, Al explains the compelling solutions ZigZag Global offer, how they started by crowdfunding the idea prior to having an MVP built, the unexpected benefits of crowdfunding and the type of businesses crowdfunding is right for, how they developed the software and took the product to market, the game-changing moment for them and how the product stood up to the test, why they took a conscious decision to grow and scale fast, why it was the plan to build a global business from day one how they forged relationships with suppliers and customers internationally, what winning awards led to, how their circular economy and green credentials helped attract VCs in their Series A funding round, how the sale to Global Blue came about, and finally, the revenue synergy opportunities the deal brings. Al's best advice is simple. Do it. Let's have a listen. Hi, Al. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Good to talk to you. Great, thank you. It's it's great to have you here today, and I've been part of your business journey as a very small part back since 2015. So I'm really excited to speak with you and to to learn more about it. Really, as you've gone whole end to end in terms of the the business life cycle. So I'd love you to start by telling us a little bit about your background and what made you decide to start a business in the first place. Thank you. Um, so. ZigZag is a technology solution, and we help retailers manage returns both domestically and globally. We plug into various different retailers, and we help them bring back returns back into their supply chain and help refund consumers efficiently. Our mission, really, is to help cut costs, both for the retailer and for the consumer, with faster refunds to help get stock back into the supply chain more quickly. And the customer experience is key to what we do. So by creating a frictionless journey for the buyer, we also increase the propensity to shop again. 
you were a, a very very early investor. Um, we were yes. we were originally uh, crowdfunded, which was an unusual way to start a business. But but actually, we, we'd been out to the market and kind of done some due diligence, spoken to some uh, some large corporates uh, and uh, some potential investors without having much success at first, um, simply because we didn't have a minimum viable product at that time. We were really trying to sell an idea uh, that we we knew would be successful, but we didn't actually have the software built at that stage when we were first raising money. So it was quite a challenge to raise money and crowdfunding turned out to be the, the best option for us. So uh, thankfully for you, you got in at the, uh, the, the very first rung on the ladder. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, we were talking in the green room before and I, I said it was our first foray into crowdfunding as well. And my wife spotted it and straight away saw the pitch, loved it. And, you know, being somebody who bought, you know, things online and had, had processed returns and somehow it had been challenging and looking at it both as the consumer and as the supplier as well. You know, uh, she's a merchandiser, so was very much familiar with the the whole user journey end to end. Saw it straight away and thought, yeah, this this is something that's that's going to work. So no, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I think the the crowdfunding has come a long way since twenty fifteen. You know, it's it's more visible now in, in many respects than it it was back then. I'm obviously a, a fan of crowdfunding having been there and uh, and done that. And um yep. You know, we, we met a lot of actually really, really good investors along the way that helped shape our journey. That, that I, I didn't think um, we would have that added benefit of um, actually forming relationships with the, the investors that, that um, came in during the first round. And uh, some of them went on to uh, work with us. Some went on to introduce us into other investors and um, introduce us into some of our customers even. Wow. So, so what was it like, you know, when you first set up the, the crowdfunding platform, deciding which one to use and then setting up the pitch, you know, how, how did that all come about? It was quite a challenge. We, we probably were not quite investment ready at the very beginning. And we had um, a very good business plan, but we didn't have necessarily things in place that, that um, we needed to. So we had to, that, that caused some delays. So by that, I mean, we had to go out and get advanced assurance from HMRC uh, for SEIS and then EIS. And had I have known that at the beginning of the journey, we may have saved a bit of time and, and done that at the very first uh, juncture uh, to, to save having to go back and, and wait for those approvals, making sure that the, the finances uh, were fully in order in, ter- in terms of the, the business plan. Um, we, we, we had a a strong business plan uh, as far as a written document went, but maybe the business case and the financials weren't um, up to up to scratch for the very first um, uh, iteration at least. And, and we had to go back and uh, redo those uh, to, to, to go into much more detail. And, and the, the level of due diligence around crowdfunding was, was still quite strong actually, um, but it, it, it helped get us into shape and, and you know, certainly don't regret uh, the crowdfunding it was it was hard work um we had to raise quite a lot of the the funds ourselves for our own friends and family network but once we had i guess sort of 50 percent of the round under our belts then the the rest followed quite quickly 
Yeah, and I think that's where we came in when you were you were overfunding. I think by the time that we came in, it was only kind of a couple of days before it closed. Because say so for people that are, are listening that aren't necessarily familiar with it, there's a there's a window, isn't there? So you'll you'll set up how much equity you'll you'll offer for for what price, and then there's a a window where there's the opportunity to invest um, and then once you either reach that target potentially go into some overfunding where there's kind of a, additional opportunity for, for equity and then it closes and and the funds are taken from there that's right and we uh, we could have stopped a hundred percent and uh, decided not to overfund but actually uh, the, the extra runway was good for us uh, we had some challenges along the way with a week to go it didn't look like we would hit the the target. And then we had one investor that came in and invested a, a large amount, but but negotiated quite hard along the way. But we decided to take the deal that was being offered to us, which was actually beneficial for all the other shareholders because they all got the same discount that this guy was asking for. But actually, it did change the shape of the round and, and it meant that we could uh, hit our target. We had to give it away a little bit more equity than we'd have liked, but it got us off the ground. I think... Um, you know, crowdfunding definitely has its place, and and I'm a big fan. I'm I'm uh, actually reinvesting some of the proceeds right now back onto uh, some of the crowdfunding platforms because I, I do believe in the model, and um, I've seen that it can be successful firsthand. But would I do it again? Probably. Uh, I would try to raise a larger check through other methods first, but crowdfunding is a good route to market for very early stage businesses. Excellent. So, I say oh, that was going to be my next question. Really, is would you would you consider it again? And indeed, would you recommend it for others out there? But it, it depends, maybe, on the circumstances of of where they are and how how developed the business model is. Yeah, I think exactly that. I mean, we um, as I said, we we were investing off a business plan, and that, and that's a leap of faith for the investor uh, as much as uh, anything else. So, I, I've you know fully understand why some of the uh, the VCs wouldn't back us but we, we tended to find out that as soon as we were successful and had clients then people wanted to back us then but less people were willing to take the, the risk early on uh, despite the fact that we were absolutely convinced we had a great business model that, that would um, that would fly and that would work but it did require some uh, some quite gutsy investors that, that uh, were willing to uh, take a bit of a gamble on us and um, you know, certainly it's paid off for them. Absolutely. So so what happened next after you completed the crowdfunding? What was the, the next step for the business in terms of getting the MVP together and going to market? Yeah, so we we actually um, started the software development with a small team, maybe uh, four or five of us um, building the, the platform. And um, for the first sort of year or so, uh, we weren't really aimed at going out to, to clients. We were just building the software and then when we were ready to start going to market um, we had to go and do a, a sort of top-up round that we uh, funded through a family office that uh, uh, was led by high net worth that was able to, um, to take the uh, the entire round more or less and then, and then uh, a few of the crowdcube uh, investors came in again and followed their money uh, for, a, for a small amount and that was enough to give us enough runway to uh, get the product to market with uh, some some very early clients. Uh, we had a bit of a 
uh, a struggle initially selling it into retailers. Obviously, uh, nobody wanted to be first, but we had quite an exciting product that was very well developed, uh, and we were able to find a couple of smaller retailers to test the product on uh, with some very favorable rates. We didn't really see them as um, our profit centers at the time. It was more a case of um, validating the proposition. And during that process, we we actually managed to land a, a large retailer as well. So one of the first clients that we uh, we started working on on a large scale was Arcadia. And um, that, that really changed our fortunes in terms of being able to work with a high street retailer that had recognition uh, everywhere, and that bought us some uh, really good validation for the for the product. It must have been a huge breakthrough when Arcadia came on board, and and as you say, give you that platform to to move forwards really. And uh, it's really interesting. I had a little chuckle to myself when you said nobody wanted to be first. And it's so often the way, isn't it, that it just takes one. You know, I've I've had other guests say exactly the same thing. It just takes one to come on board, and then the others will follow. Yeah, I mean, we we they weren't actually the very first, but they were the first large retailer, and and certainly yeah. uh, that was a game changing moment for us in order to um, be able to uh, prove that it worked. In fact, it was so successful that we didn't actually know they'd gone live. So when they first launched, they launched two weeks earlier than we were expecting, and the uh, the product worked flawlessly without us um, realizing that they'd pushed go on the uh, uh, on their side and until oh, wow. we suddenly saw orders flooding in and we thought something was wrong at first because we weren't expecting it and actually we realized it had gone uh, very smoothly and everything was working um, <laughs> which of course we shouldn't have been at all surprised about because that's what we've been aiming for all along but we were very surprised to see the orders coming in two weeks early yeah that must have been quite a shock <laughs> yeah, but a, a, a nice shot. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a celebration moment in the office, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it was. So clearly, things were going in the right direction, and at some point along the line, you decided to seek a second round of investment. So, what happened there, and how how did that help you to progress to the next level? Well, the the, the family office uh, really helped us uh, through a couple of years of of growth and prepped us really for a series a so we we put a board together we had uh some other crowdcube investors following on for for a larger amount and one in particular a guy called patrick eve who was one of the directors of the business um came on board and was uh, brilliant at bringing on uh, other investors uh into the business uh so you know patrick was very uh helpful in bringing us some of the uh, the funding that that took us to Series A really, and that was a a, a breakthrough for us in in order to help grow the business. Um, we obviously weren't profitable at that stage, and we needed to expand quickly because of the uh, the opportunity. Uh, so we took a conscious decision to to grow and to to scale fast, and uh, we knew that would require some cash. But we had some some good backers that were willing to give us the uh, the bandwidth to uh, to be successful. That's really interesting. And if you didn't decide to do that, what would have happened? Do you think would you have been able to sustain the business at the the kind of scale that it was? Yeah, I, mean, I absolutely think we we could we could have sort of um, 
bootstrapped it and, and done it on a shoestring. Uh, but it's not really what I wanted to build. I wanted to build the best software in the world, and that took money. Yep. I also wanted to build it very quickly, as everybody will tell you that uh, works with me. I'm quite uh, ambitious and impatient sometimes, and I get I want to get stuff done quickly. And um, for me, it was about speed to market and trying to get uh, some of the, the largest retailers on the world using the platform as quickly as possible. So we weren't going to do that on a small budget, and we needed to grow quickly and, and, and sort of um, onboard people in order to show the product off in, in other markets. Uh, we, we won some large uh, carrier clients, um, we household name carriers, international post offices as well. And we also won several more retailers. And in particular, uh, I started to see demand for the product outside the UK as well. So we were not just targeting our home market, but we were targeting international markets. Yeah, I love it, and and I love how you, you know, you took that decision, uh, sort of quantified everything, and thought, no, this is this is the direction that it needs to go in. It can scale. I want it to scale. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a toss up, isn't it? Because you know, you, you could end up blowing everything. You know, certainly blowing the budget. But uh, if you're convinced by the business model and you're convinced by the the product, then you've got to go with your your gut feeling sometimes. And we were very fortunate that our investors were patient and uh, willing to support us on that journey and actually um, we were given some central London office space that um, helped us uh, grow and helped us meet our potential clients and meet our uh, potential suppliers and, and that was uh, again from the uh, the family office that, that were very patient landlords we, we did pay them but but not immediately <laughs> So, so what was it like when you you were you know expanding internationally? You know, was there a very different feel about things, or was it just a continuation of everything that you'd done before, just in a different time zone? Well, I think we've been trying to build a global business from day one, so uh, this business wouldn't work uh, just in one market. So retail uh, is very much cross border these days, and uh, most of our customers are fast fashion retailers. So these days we're working with the likes of Boohoo, Selfridges, Gap, Superdry, um, and Inditex, which is Zara. Um, we work in 130 countries in 220 uh, warehouses, and we've also got the product available in 35 different languages. And that's kind of reflective of the demand for the, the solution in lots of different markets. So consumers have this problem of needing to return a product in all markets, not just the UK. But retailers also have this problem as well. So we knew from very, very early on that this business would be a global business, uh, but we had to build it quickly in order to service it. So we started with key e-commerce markets first, and uh, I spent most of my life on an airplane. I was literally um, flying hundreds of thousands of miles around the planet to, uh, to set this business up. Uh, which sounds glamorous, but actually it was uh, it was very tiring and, and quite hard work. But but it was necessary to to go out and forge these relationships with new suppliers and new customers in in various different countries. But we uh, we managed to find you know, a lot of uh, good conferences that were good sources of customers for us, good sources of suppliers, uh, and eventually even good sources of funding. 
there's nothing like meeting in person, is there? And I know we've not been able to do that, of course, for the last year. But, you know, the opportunity that's hopefully going to come back now for people to to travel. Um, and I, I spoke with another guest not long ago, and she said exactly the same thing about how traveling out to Dubai, meeting people, looking them in the eye makes such a difference. Um, and you can, you know, there, there's nothing like it. So it's it's amazing to hear how you did that effectively to scale that and to, as you say, to, to find investors while you're looking to sell the product as well. Yeah, Dubai was one of our first uh, places of success. Actually, we we attended the World Retail Congress in 2016, and um, I was actually challenged on CrowdCube by a uh, an investor at the time. Uh, and I put in the business plan that we were going to speak at the World Retail Congress, and uh, he accused us of punching above our weight. Um, we went out um, and not only spoke there, but we won the uh, the award for the uh, most innovative retail product that year and um i think that was the the first kind of big award that zigzag had won and it was a really proud moment actually because it meant that we were getting internationally recognized for what we'd built and i'm very pleased to say that that investor did invest and uh it's uh certainly uh, uh we had a good chat about it the other day and he's very very uh, pleased he challenged us on it in the first place <laughs> It's, it's a really good point about awards because you know i've enjoyed seeing the annual reports come through and and, and seeing the the awards that zigzags won so how would you say that that helps to convince people potentially that you know this is working this is the right thing how does how do awards give credibility i think it's market validation um from the industry and and really the, the people that are judging the awards tend to be retailers, they tend to be carriers, they tend to be investors. So they're your customers effectively. And being globally recognized does undoubtedly, you know, help your cause. Um, it, it really helps your uh, your promotion. And quite often, it's a good marketing strategy. Certainly, uh, we still um, are very proud of the uh, the team and the uh, the software that we built. And we, uh, we feel that you know, any any market recognition for that is really good for the business. Yeah, absolutely. So how did the opportunity to sell come about? Was that something that was always in your plan or was it was it just the right buyer that came along? Before we got to that stage, we, we did a Series A. So we did a round of VC investment with a company called Circularity Capital, who were uh, investing in us as a, a green solution. So we obviously help cut landfill. We we reduce air miles that products need to travel. And about 70% of our returns are now paperless. So we uh, we help save trees. Uh, and yep. uh, through that uh, journey with Circularity, we were able to scale and grow the business. Uh, we grew from about 35 people at the beginning of this time last year up to about 75 people by the uh, the start of this year and we're, we'll, we'll continue to grow but as we scaled that business uh, we decided we wanted to potentially uh, go out and do a series b with a, a larger investor and we were talking to various different investors at the time and and happened to uh, be introduced by a previous client to a company called global blue who uh, actually um, were originally looking at an investment in zigzag and uh, decided they liked it so much that they would uh, take the plunge and buy us excellent and it seems like a great fit as well you know i've i've worked in the MA space for you know several years now and uh, th- there's always some deals that seem to fit well and others you think i'm not so sure 
this one seems like a really good fit in in terms of what they offer and and indeed you know how you can work together and the the revenue synergy opportunities that come through that yeah very much so obviously um i've relatively uh new into the global blue family but we've been extremely impressed by the the scale of that business and the wealth of respect that their contacts have for them 40 year old business that's um uh, trading 50 markets with 2,000 employees and, and um, they're an absolute market leader in their space. So uh, they're a payments uh, solution that, that help businesses to offer VAT reclaim service to consumers. And they also are a leader in the luxury space, which is really good for ZigZag. So they've got a lot of large clients in multiple markets that can uh, help sell the ZigZag solution into uh, a new sector. Yeah. It is great, and uh, I say, uh, although I'm no longer a shareholder, I'm very excited for the the future of Zigzag, and uh, yeah, I wish you every success with it because uh, you've in just over what five and a half six years, uh, you've done a remarkable job to get it to this stage, and and indeed, I'm sure there's plenty more to go. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we we've really uh, been you know, very very pleased with the the outcome but we are absolutely dedicated to the next phase with zigzag uh, now it's all about uh, scaling and uh, and growing that product internationally and i think we've really got the credentials now to do that so we've got some of the largest retailers in the world using the software we've got some of the largest carriers in the world uh, using it both domestically and globally and then we also have now this uh, this springboard into a new sector and uh, in new markets. So uh, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Al. It's, it's been great fun speaking with you today. And before we finish, there's four questions that I'd, I ask every guest on the show. Uh, the first one is, what's the best piece of advice that you give to somebody thinking about starting their own business today? Do it. Um, I think there was one uh, phrase that I read in a book that said, if you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. And uh, that um, that phrase stuck with me, and it's it's really what inspired me to start the uh, the business in the first place. A book called uh, "How to Get Rich" by Felix Dennis. No, it's it's great advice, and I say it's I you know I I think it's such a great thing to do. The opportunity that comes from starting a business, and you know, solving the problems that you care about for the people that you know you care about helping. You know, I think it's more so in this decade than probably any time in 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 history the opportunity that comes from from starting a business and the the changes that that business could make so yeah absolutely very very simple but very good advice (laughs) so so what do you know now uh that you wish you knew back when you started your business i think um how to raise money um certainly we weren't good at raising money in the early days and and that was a, a a real problem for us it's not easy learning to raise money, uh, and so getting a good, good partner to help you do that, be it be that uh, an investor that can introduce you to other people, be that an advisor that you even pay for, uh, but choosing your advisor carefully uh, that that can help get you there a bit quicker. Having a good business plan really to to make sure that you uh, are successful, uh, but above all, having uh, conviction in your idea and your uh, and your product. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. So is there a resource that you'd recommend? So be it a, a book, a website, a podcast, anything that you found valuable that you think would benefit others? I, re- I wish I'd read your book at the beginning of, that, of our journey. I think that may have saved me a, a bit of time. So uh, thank you for sending me a copy of that. 
No, you're most welcome. I think um, we we did some accelerator programs actually that that were uh, good for us. And whilst some of it was a little bit unnecessary, as in it was stuff we already knew, it was still good practice. And I think um, you know finding accelerator programs early on are, are a good thing for a business and can really help kind of get you some uh, a leg up in the market and get you some some contacts that you need so i'm a fan of accelerators i'm also a fan of going out and networking you know we we did a lot of uh, networking and we we did every trade show every conference every evening event that we could possibly um attend and um yeah. uh, paid dividends for us because because we built the network very quickly and we were able to uh, follow up on the leads that we'd we'd met at these events and science and business excellent and it's interesting you moved on to networking there was when you were talking about the accelerators i was thinking about networking you know and uh, was there a a link for you in in terms of the accelerators that you did in terms of networking the other people that were on those accelerators was was there a connection there that you made at all yeah i think i think um we we did actually go to the us and we were accepted for y combinator uh, which is quite prestigious one to be accepted for but we were probably a little bit late stage for that by then. So uh, maybe if we'd applied for Wild Combinator a year earlier, that might have been a, a good thing for us to do in the in the US particularly. But I think you you still got an opportunity to partner with some strategic investors. One of our investors was Maersk and uh, Maersk managed to, Maersk was actually in, introduced to us by one of our early uh, investors, an investor called Ascension, and Ascension was in EIS fund that backed us um, during one of the uh, the earlier rounds. And um, Ascension brought with it a wealth of uh, not only just high net worth investors, but also strategic investors. And so, being able to have that partnership with a strategic investor that um, was a, a world leader, a market leader in its space, was very valuable for us. Um, and they they bought some structure into the business. They also bought a wealth of uh, product knowledge and market knowledge that we wouldn't have otherwise had access to. So the right kind of strategic investment can be really good and valuable for your business. Love it. And is there a guest that you'd recommend for a future episode of the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'd say um, speak to uh, my co-founder, actually, Lawrence Guy. He's a um, very interesting guy. He's um Founded his own business back in uh, sort of 2010, I believe, uh, which was the uh, beginning of Pentagon. Uh, so we are Pentagon, which is a, a marketplace uh, solutions provider. And I, I work with Lawrence uh, for a number of years. And I've also um, joined Lawrence on a, uh, a non-exec basis uh, off the back of the, uh, the deal from ZigZag. Excellent. No, I look forward to, to getting in touch and hopefully having him on the show. Uh, sounds like a very interesting person. Um, and just finally then, uh, if people like to find out more about you and about ZigZag, what should they do and where should they go? So our website is www.zigzag.global and you can also find us on LinkedIn. Uh, search for me, Al Gary, and I'll be happy to connect. Well, thank you so much, Al. It's been brilliant speaking with you today. And yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. So much value you've shared. So thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Having worked in M&A as a project manager for several years, it's normally around this time of the business lifecycle that I get involved to help bring the two companies together and deliver the value from the deal. 
So it was fascinating to hear from Al about Zigzag's journey from the start and indeed the opportunities ahead. Early on in my book, Project Future, on page 15 in fact, I talk about the need for tenacity in order to succeed. I think our story with Zigzag is a perfect case study of the tenacity needed to succeed on a truly international scale. As well as the simple cost-cutting and improved customer journey aspects of the solutions Zigzag provide, it was great to hear how the sustainability aspect has resonated with the market. The world needs more businesses like Zigzag, but simply factoring in circular aspects to your business model where it's appropriate will go a long way to making things better. I wish Al and Zigzag every success in their new chapter as part of Global Blue. If this episode has inspired you to start your own business, start today with my three-minute quiz at robcurr.co.uk forward slash quiz. On next week's episode, I speak with married couple and wedding photographers, Ash and Kat Springle, on how they responded to COVID-19 by successfully launching a completely different business. So subscribe now to get notified of this on Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.